Thanks for listening to the Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry, here to help educate, motivate, and put you on the right path to take control of your health through weekly discussions on topics in the medical field, public health arena, and in your community. And now your host, Dr. Barry. All right, welcome to another episode of Medicine Mondays. We have a special episode all the all for Frank, all the all the episodes I think are special. Obviously, I'm biased, but anytime I'm able to have a guest, I, I like to roll out the red carpet, especially for the lunch and learn community. I know that's something that you guys love to hear, right? I know you guys don't like hearing my voice every single week. So anytime we're able to break up the monotony and throw on a special guest on here, I like to oblige. And I'm actually excited. Uh, one, and again, I'll, again, I, I like, you know me, I like to throw my cards out there. I like to throw the biases out in public so you're not shocked or surprised. Uh, we're talking public health, right? And I've been on record to say that I don't think I'm the physician that I am today without my public health degree. So anytime I can get someone uh, who comes from that background, that specialty is a little bit more special to me because I know just the trajectories placed on me as a physician. So, Alila, first of all, thank you for joining uh, this week's episode of Medicine Mondays. I appreciate you for taking the time out for us. Of course, it's fun to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, I appreciate. So, we're gonna have your bio in the description, right? So I, that way, I can because my audience likes to skip whenever I try to read a bio, so they <laughs> like to skip. So, I always just come out and say, "All right, like who who is this person on my show?" And why is like Dr. Barry excited, right? So tell us a little bit about yourself and like, I'm going to get in your business a little bit, but tell us a little bit about yourself kind of introductory wise. Sure. I don't even remember what I put in my bio, so I I hope it was good. But um, my name is Leela Ramachandran. Um, She, her pronouns, and I am a child of immigrants. My parents are from India. Um, I kind of went to college pre-med and decided that I, I learned about social determinants of health. And I was like, oh, this means that I can't just be a phenomenal physician and things are fixed. Um, and so for me, I, I think there were a lot of paths once you have that realization. But for me, that meant that I wanted to move into kind of more of a public health realm. Um, and so I transitioned out of being bio pre-med. I still think that was helpful with the work that I do. Um, but I got a public health degree. I kind of focused in on health disparities and health inequality. Um, I also got a certificate in civic engagement public service because kind of this running thread has been thinking about how you engage community members, what policy and politics, unfortunately, mean for folks' lives and public health. Um, And I've gotten a bunch of random internships and jobs. Um, I've done local health inspections. I have done some research. I just got elected as a school committee member this year. Um, Very excited about that. We're definitely going to talk a little bit about that for sure. (laughs) (laughs) There's so much to say there. Um, But kind of throughout all of this is asking questions like who isn't at the table and why aren't they and what kind of structural systemic things are the reasons for that? What can we do about that? How can I ask questions that potentially frustrate people but push us towards some version of a better world? So that's kind of a brief overview. I love it. And Lunch and Learn community, if you did not know why I'm excited to have her on uh, my show today, I hope that knocked that right out the park, right? Because especially when you talked about coming to that realization that, wow, 
there's a lot of communities, a lot of different institutions affected by the mm-hmm. stuff I'm learning. And I wouldn't be doing the best job if I was only talking to the person in front of me. And that that was always a dilemma that I felt, especially because like in our program, we had a dual enrollment program and I actually ended up getting getting on there late. But like mm-hmm. I felt that that kind of me where I was like, all right, like it's great if I can tell my patient, like, you know, how to control the blood pressure. Sure. But if I'm not if I'm not really answering a call for everyone that the community that my patient comes from. And asking probably the most important question, why is it that they're having issues with blood pressure or even dealing with mm-hmm. blood pressure? Like it was those types of questions that really started having me kind of like really second guess myself. Say, wow. All right. Like I, I've not again. Let me full disclaimer. If you did not get a public health degree, it does not mean that you're a great physician. I'm not saying all that. I'm <laughs> just saying that I just started asking so much more questions of myself that I didn't feel it was right just to focus on the person in front of me, which is why I pursued a public health degree. So I love uh, the fact that like that's kind of sparked in you and you kind of recognize it very early because it's, I think, and I say this all the time, I do think it is one of the biggest kind of divides when we talk about just kind of regular medicine and in the healthcare field in itself. And specifically when we talk about public health. Sorry to break your concentration. I know you're probably knee deep into today's episode, but do not forget, check out our Lunch and Learn community store, shop.drberrypierre.com. Remember to use the code EMPOWER10 and make sure you are leaving us a five-star review, especially on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you. Now back to your regularly scheduled podcast. Yeah, it's been a frustrating divide for me, and I've had a couple of projects that have bridged some of those gaps, and they've been really fulfilling for me because I was a student who really wanted to do medicine. And so there was one project that talked about medication adherence, which just means taking your medication as directed at the time that's directed at the dose directed um, among chronically ill patients. And they were diverse. And it was super helpful to be able to find data that suggested and showed that patients weren't taking their meds because they didn't feel like it. For one of the, actually, multiple patients kind of weren't taking their medications as prescribed because the instructions were in English and they did not speak English fluently and they sure as hell didn't speak kind of medical terminology English. Um, and then there were other patients who, you know, they got really busy. They had 15 medications they were trying to manage. And so that brought in the public health lens of like, what is leading to this? It's not just an individual patient deciding. Um, and then there was this other project that was evaluating a PA student program and thinking about, their potential biases, how we get them into kind of going into primary care, um, especially in underserved areas. And what does that mean for thinking about how medicine happens in areas that are consistently underfunded? Um, And so that's been super fulfilling is to kind of bridge those gaps that are pretty broad, um, but projects that kind of talk to both sides of it. Yeah, I used to have a, I used to have a, one of my uh, professors in the public health side, who would he would he would joke on the medical students and say, hey, you know, when when we talk about having amazing breakthroughs on the public health side, we're talking about wiping smallpox out of here by washing your hands. Whereas you guys, you know, if you save, you know, if your mortality rate reduces by 20 percent, you guys are jumping for joy. And it was just one of those things where, again, you just kind of have the dynamics that are there that we can't we should be running hand in hand. 
as far as public health or just medicine in general. Uh, but we there's constant divides and there's con- and you kind of mentioned the gaps that are there that can easily be connected. Because we would have those same patients who, unfortunately, you know what we would do? We would say, oh, that's a non-compliant patient. Or right. even worse, oh, the first blood pressure medication didn't work that I wrote in English instructions. Let me write you a second one. Mm-hmm. And then let me write you a third one. And we're sitting here baffled, not recognizing, no, the right. reason why their blood pressure doesn't work isn't because it doesn't work on them. No, it's because they don't even know how to take it. And and that's a lot of it from medicine side. That's not even a question that we like sometimes think to ask. Right. And all this is public health, right? And like, that's why I love public health so much is it's so ingrained in every profession, everything that we do in our lives, like is somehow related to public health. Um, and so I know I'm wildly biased. You talked about putting your biases out there. I just think public <laughs> health is one of the most important things that you could do. And it's not just like a job. Like for me, it's it's a perspective. And so you can have that perspective and be in construction. You could have that perspective and be an artist. You could have that, construct- that perspective and be a doctor as you are. Um, but there is so much opportunity. And I think now people know about public health, but know it just as like COVID and contact tracing, which is great, but that's mm-hmm. a tiny little piece of it. Very, very tiny. And and I, I think especially with the pandemic, recognizing, oh, this what happens when you don't have a, a great structure, especially from a national perspective. You know, it's one of those things where like, oh, yeah, sure, public health, public health is important until you realize like, wow. If we had a great structure, things would run a lot smoother. So I, I'm unfortunate that it took a pandemic for people to kind of recognize like, oh, like we really should be thinking about the importance of public health. Uh, but here we are. Yeah. And we're still on a local level. Like when I say local, I mean statewide fighting mm-hmm. for funding for public health because we are still so underfunded. Um, and so we we're important when we matter when it's a national crisis international actually Uh um and then all of a sudden it's kind of forgotten about even though the public health duties do not end yeah it it hasn't went anywhere the needs for it haven't went anywhere but the cameras have went away and then all of a sudden people are like oh okay everything's all good to go right so yeah no and this kind of leads me especially something you kind of mentioned in regards to public health is the importance of the civic engagement aspect of it in policy uh, it, it, as far as making kind of the wor- our worlds kind of go around. Like, can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Well, in this beautiful capitalist country that we live in, um, money, money talks and money does things and money allows you and affords you the opportunity to implement really good public health programs lack thereof can be detrimental. And so oftentimes public health depends on policy funding our work um and also just like the community engagement piece of it like we don't do a good job of that i think as a as a country i can't speak broader than that um and so for me the civic engagement piece is we've disenfranchised so many people and so many groups of people and so how can we think about a offering those folks an opportunity to be involved in decision making processes and share power, but also be there are people who don't want to listen to them, but they might have the power to vote them out. Um, and so, how can we engage people, especially folks who have kind of long withstanding been excluded from these processes? Yeah. What can I do to make sure that they 
at least have the opportunity to re-engage. And if they decide not to, that's that's their opinion and that's totally fair. Um, but I think it's critical that especially like young people, folks of color, people with disabilities are included and represented in local office, especially, but also just kind of political arenas generally. And you, you know what's interesting, especially especially as a physician, where, and I hear a lot of my colleagues will say stuff like, oh, politics doesn't really matter. I'm just here to take care of my patients. And, sure. oh, I, I, I'm, I'm keeping my head in the sand. You know, that doesn't affect yeah. me. And, of course, I'm screaming from the rooftops, like, no, no, no. Like, I don't think you understand that if politics don't align, guess what? You can't adequately take care of the patients you want to take care of. Right. Like it, it's it's I feel like it's direct, but a lot of my colleagues, especially on the medicine side, would tend to run away from it. And I remember just getting my as my training as a public health, like we used to run towards it. We because we recognized very early how important it was to have a voice, how important it was mm-hmm. to have a say, especially for people who like make the decisions for you. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of times, obviously, the fanfare comes when we're talking about in the national stage, but I like I love how you mentioned like even state and local is extremely important, especially when the cameras go away and the needs are still there. Hey, what's up everybody? It is yours truly Dr. Barry Pierre with another commercial break for the Lunch and Learn community members. If you've been asking, hey, you know what, what can I do to get more involved with the Lunch and Learn community? What can I do to get more involved with Dr. Barry? I got something for you. This year we have launched the Lunch and Learn Patreon community where you get access to a private Discord, access to live Q&As. Depending on the tier you select, you can even become a producer on the show and choose your next topic that you want to hear and even suggest guests. So I want you to do right now after listening to this episode, of course is join me at drbarrypierre.com slash Patreon. Check out the different tiers and join me in our private Discord today. Yeah, and local for me has been where I feel like I can affect something, right? Like there's this general sense of, oh no, the world is falling apart sometimes. Um, but local feels more attainable. It feels like I can do something. And so for me, that's just where I've put my energy and it's been fun. It's been a little chaotic, but it's been fun. And what's interesting, especially from from that local aspect, there's so many different there's so many different things that need to be affected just on the local front um, in regards to uh, schools, choice of schools. Um, You kind of mentioned a little bit about just kind of the, the prison and abolition and that aspect there. Was there one thing, especially as you were kind of coming up in your career that that you said, you know what, that really interests me or that's something I want to go to? Or was it just kind of a maturation of just kind of going with the motions and you just kind of ending up where you ended up? Do you mean in public health or with? Right, right. Like, yeah, just even yeah, from that perspective. Yeah, I think. So I went to school in Ohio for two years for undergrad. That was not my best decision. But um, I took a class there called Racism 101, and it was like a gen ed, but it essentially categorized racism over time. And I had never seen racism laid out in a timeline that was strung together like that. It's always been like, oh, we we did this bad thing, but then there was all of this, and it's like not really actually accurate history. Mm. Um, and then we did this other bad thing. But 
that class in particular gave me language and gave me structures and systems to be able to conceptualize the experiences that I had had in school, but then also just watching kind of my privilege adjacent to other communities. I grew up in a rel- relatively wealthy suburb. Um, but I, I always remembered as a kid, like thinking about when I took the train into Boston, how it slowly got more and more diverse on the train. And I didn't understand that as a child, but I noticed it, right? Like kids are pretty aware and mm-hmm. into it. <laughs> um, and so to then have names and have the language to identify what had happened was really powerful for my kind of development and becoming kind of the activist that I have become. Um, and I think that education and language are so important. And so that's some of why I joined the school committee. Um, but I, I guess the other kind of hot ticket item was just kind of this push towards school committees and local offices, places that more conservative folks could come on to. And for me in school, like I'm a queer adult right now, but I couldn't have even fathom being queer as a child, even though my parents were super cool with it. Like that wasn't a problem, but I still lived in a society. Right. And so it's scary to me to see and to worry that folks who want our schools to be more homogeneous and who don't want schools to teach curriculum that actually reflects the true histories of the students that are going there. Um, Like that's really scary for me. And so although I really don't like being in front of the cameras and having meetings recorded and see my face talking, um, it, for me, it was like, I have to do this. <laughs> I, I laugh while you do this on the podcast. I like... <laughs> <laughs> uh, at least here, it's like, I, it might not be my neighbors watching and then talking to me about what I said tomorrow. Oh, perfect, perfect. But he absolutely is. You know, what's what's interesting, and, I, and uh, you know, for the community, I already know I say in the state of Florida, whose governor, I think yeah. that's, that's his mission, right? To sure. take everything out, to ban, but like, so I always, I always, I know I'm always speaking from kind of a clouded lens because I don't know how the other states do it, but like mm-hmm. in the state of Florida, like we're constantly having to deal with leadership who is anti-education, anti-diversity, mm-hmm. uh, anti-just talking, right? It's just, it's what I say. Sure. So I like, so I was like, I wonder if it's, bad like it is here but everywhere else but i just never know so I, i'm always interested when people like outside state of florida like yeah we like we see what's happening over there i mean i think it's like i, I will say i live in massachusetts and folks are absolutely like at least it isn't florida like when even when i was knocking on doors uh, during the campaign folks were saying that they were like are you really like why are you that concerned like it's not florida um and i think it, it depends on your your ruler for it like if you're looking at florida Sure, we're not that bad, I guess. But Massachusetts has its own issues. Like we are the least transparent state in the Commonwealth when it comes to our legislature. Our sex ed hasn't been re- revised since 1999. Um, oh wow! We repealed the right for incarcerated folks to vote while they're incarcerated in like the early 2000s. Um, and we like my school district that I grew up in went K to 12 we had a book challenge because it talked about gay people dating. And so, yes, we live in Massachusetts, but these things very much are happening here. And I don't think folks really know it. Um, 
And part of that is because we're all really busy and just kind of doing our things and we're plugged into the networks we're plugged into and we don't hear a whole lot kind of outside of that. Um, but other folks are paying attention and there's there's a playbook and plenty of people have access to it. And so do right wing folks in Massachusetts. Mm. Um, so that's also been one of the things that I've kind of gotten on a little bit of a, a talking pitch about is like you need to keep up with some of what's happening locally, even if you think you're in a liberal state or whatever you want to call it. We can be in a blue state in a kind of a blue haven. We don't have Governor DeSantis, but we also have our own issues. And sometimes we fall into kind of a Massachusetts complacency. You know, what's interesting, and, and I kind of want to discuss just kind of kind of obviously you kind of mentioned your decision into joining the school committee, because what I tend to hear is people like, oh, you know, there's there's nothing I can do. Right. Especially mm-hmm. Uh, for especially for our younger crowd, right? And I love to say that the, our younger crowd, because I I just turned forty, right? So I love to be able to like, hey, y'all, y'all whippersnappers, like it's it's a <laughs> it's a very nice, funny rite of passage for me now. Um, in in regards to just kind of that discussion, like how how is it that you're able to uh, mobilize or just really just kind of start having a conversation to say, hey. You know what? You should probably look at your school. You should probably look at these things here if you want to kind of see effective change down the road. Like how like how 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 has that been for you so far? I think it's been hard because people are so busy, right? Like I just mentioned it, but they have their family. They have kids who have been struggling. They have their adjacent family that's really just friends that are also dealing with their own stuff. Um, and they've got lives. But I think I started paying attention to local politics when I came back from college because of the pandemic and we were sent home and I was like, well, I may as well figure out what the hell happens here. Because when I went to school, I had no idea about school committee. I had no idea about who was kind of our, our version of a city council. Um, And so I slowly but surely figured it out. And it took listening to four hour long meetings by a lot of white people that I had no idea about. No one looked like me, Hmm. Um, but slowly figured out, how much happens behind doors that are technically open, but no one knows that they're there. Um, And so I started using Facebook as the 23-year-old that I am um, and posting kind of snippets of what was happening. Like, did you know that this person just said this? Or here's a link to the YouTube video recording of the meeting where he just insinuated X, Y, and Z, and that's pretty racist. Um, And so it was things like that that caught people's attention and wasn't reactionary necessarily because it was entirely accurate portrayals of what was happening but just got people at least thinking about these things exist and they're happening and I don't know about them um and then slowly like taking one person to a meeting or sending someone the link when it's it's live streaming um and I don't think that everyone can do everything right like I pay a lot of attention to my local politics I pay attention to state stuff I am not the world's best expert at international policies and politics, but other people are. And so I rely on my friends and my community to kind of pay attention to different pieces of it. So if you have, I don't know, a monthly meeting for your town or city, can you go to one and your friend goes to the other? That means you buy monthly or you have one, one meeting every other month. Mm. And so like split up the responsibility somehow. Um, But I think it's just doing what you can and circles of influence. Like I can't, I can't get the whole town to care, but if I can get five of my friends to care, I have this friend that says each one teach one, like then they can go get their friends to come on. And so it's, it's really about who's in your network, 
who can you pull into this? And then who are they affecting? Now, what what made you take the leap from going to a meeting, you know, observing, <laughs> seeing, wow, they're talking, talking kind of crazy in here yeah. to eventually saying, you know what? I want that spot. <laughs> so it actually was never, I want that spot. It was, I'm worried about who might get that spot. Mm. Um, and it was also, I felt like this might sound wild, but I felt like I had seen the ugly in our community as explicit as it gets. And I couldn't be surprised once I got into office, right? Because through publishing things about like what people were saying, I was a little bit reckless um, and maybe not the most thoughtful. And it was just kind of putting things everywhere. And so folks were showing up at my home. People were sending me death threats. And so I, 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 I saw you posted that and I was like, <laughs> yes. Yeah, it was a little wild. Um, a lot wild. And I, I left. We follow each other on TikTok Lunch and Learn community, just in case. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I laugh about it now, but it, like it absolutely was not okay. It affected my sense of safety. I wouldn't go to grocery shopping around here for a little while. Um, but that made me realize like there's not a whole lot that people who do or say that would surprise me at this point, right? Like I've heard the worst, I've seen the worst. And so I could step up and run for office and I've gone here K to 12. I know the school district generally sure things have changed since I graduated. Um, but I've graduated within the last decade and that's not something I think any of the other school committee members could say. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's partially about not expecting yourself to be the expert on everything. I would love for the school committee to be full of educators diverse educators who have lived experience like that ideally for me makes the most sense, but that's not who is running. Um, And so when five out of 11 seats were up, like that significantly changes things when you only need a simple majority. And so I kind of was like, screw it. Like, (laughs) I guess I'll just put my name on the ballot. Um, And I will say like, I even second guessed it, right? Like as much as it might seem cool to be elected and it is, and it's a privilege. I'm also putting off grad school plans and trying to figure out what that means for my desire to get a PhD. I can no longer go anywhere else because I have to live here for my three-year term. Um, so there's some there's some pros and cons. I think and that's, that's interesting that, you that, that, that having to, and especially because you're young, right? You, you know, you're young wing snappers, right? Like, especially that you're young because you do kind of have to make those decisions like, hey, like if I if I jump in here, I really can't yeah. jump in anywhere else. Yep. Yeah. But I think that's why older folks typically are the ones who are on the committees, right? Like they've gotten to a point in their careers where they can afford to leave work a little bit early to go to the meeting, or they can afford to be a stay-at-home parent who has some time during the day to work on some school committee things or insert thing here. You might be retired and join the school committee. Um but then you constantly have people who don't look like students. And then you're wondering why students don't come to the committee to talk about the issues. Hmm. And it's like, yes, visual representation is not everything, but it, it helps you get your foot in the door sometimes. Um, and so for me, that was an opportunity. I, I'm never going to get an opportunity to be on a school committee where I've gone there K to 12 again, because I don't intend to live here for the rest of my life. So I think the opportunity presented itself and I don't think I was totally sure till like the day before the election. And even the day before the election, I was like, it's cool if I don't get elected. 
I just don't want a conservative person who might damage the committee to be on it. Um, and I very much speak for myself, not as a school committee member in this moment. Um, but I think you have to do your own cost benefit analysis. And for me in that moment, the costs outweighed, I mean, the benefits outweigh the costs. So. So right yeah, now on the first year of a three-year term, is that the, the cycle? Correct. Okay. Yeah. And any, any goals or aspirations while you're on the seat that, you know? Oh, I have you know, so early. many goals, but <laughs> it requires 11 people to get on the same page. I can't just kind of make my own goals and right. go for it. Um, I think one of the goals that multiple members have said is like better community engagement. Um, I, I think it's kind of been a goal for the committee for a while, but not actually made fully actionable yet. Um, and so I would love for people to feel like they can come to us if there are issues, right? Like theoretically, they're going to their teacher, they're going to the principal, they're going to the superintendent before they come to us. But if we can be a conduit, if you know me from, I don't know, my political activities elsewhere, and you feel like I'm an approachable person rather than emailing the superintendent, go for it. And then I'll connect you. And like, I'm happy to do that. Um, And then outside of kind of community engagement, this other kind of focus has been getting police out of schools. Um, In our district, there have been a lot of incidents where police have caused harm that is entirely inappropriate for students. you don't need to arrest a six-year-old. You don't need to take five black students into a room because they were accused of having a firearm when we have less than 5% of our population being black. Um, Things like that, where it's, we have concerns and many of them are mental health and substance use and police just aren't equipped to deal with those things as best as other folks. And so when we look at statewide disparities. We see disparities in policing by race, by disability status, by income. And back in like 19, goodness Lord, I was born in 2000. That's not the thing. Um, (laughs) Back in 2019 or 2020, when I started looking at school discipline rates after taking that racism 101 class, um, that's the reason that I first got connected to the school committee is because I reached out to a member when I started doing my own calculations with our data and being like, whoa, like we are way over disciplining black and Latinx students. Mm. Um, And so when I see it happening on our district level, when I see it happening on the statewide level, when I talk to experts who are like, yeah, it's actually worse than the numbers because not everything is reported, that really concerns me. And so based on what I've heard from students, my own experiences as a student, Um, And the data that's there, I don't know that police are the best idea for our district or kind of generally in schools. Um, If anyone has data that suggests that cops make schools safer, I would love to see it. I've been looking for it for like three or four years. (laughs) Um, So that's kind of another goal. And then I just like generally, and this is kind of hand waving, would love to see, I would love for our district to really encourage people to love learning and be engaged in their own education. I think I lost my love of reading when I was in school and I don't blame my individual teachers for that. I think it's just the way that they have to teach to standards and curriculum. And so they just kind of do what they have to do. Um, I'm not sure if you guys, like I know in Florida, we have like these standardized like FCAD and like those types of national or I guess statewide type testing that 
teachers go from from teaching, you know, a typical curriculum they would they would like to teach, but teaching for that test because funding is connected to how well the kids do on said test. I don't know if that's yeah for us those your testing is connected to your graduation requirements, so you have to get a certain grade on that um, statewide test, the MCAS, to actually graduate, and so. There's a proposal right now called the Thrive Act that's been endorsed by the teachers union to eliminate that as a, as a graduation requirement. Um, and so I think things like that are great. Like there's there's a whole other rabbit hole, but there's data showing that those tests primarily cater towards white folks. And as if you look at SAT testing scores um, and like family median income, it's kind of a direct correlation. Like as you are wealthier, you are tend to do well or better. Mm-hmm. Your standardized tests. Um, so it's absolutely kind of trying to teach two standardized tests that are not perfect at all. Right. Ah, oh, that's amazing. Like, I, if, like I said, I'm excited because, like, I've always like, especially because you, you know we're we're both on TikTok, right? So we're both on social media, yeah. and you know, one thing that w- when I first got on social media, my goal was, hey, you know what? I'm on social media. I got this public health thing. I recognize, you know what, I can't, I can't talk to everyone if I'm just in my office. So I'm going to use this, you know, platform, this way to just kind of talk out loud. And then I love how you're saying, you know what, I'm also going to put my foot to the fire, right? I'm going to be in where they make the rules. I'm going to be in where decisions are made, especially because like, like there was like this running, there's like this running theme, especially during the pandemic where you know those who were you know against the the lockdowns or just against you know the mask mm-hmm. and everything else were bombarding school board meetings left and right yeah. and mm-hmm. then and I would highlight them I'm saying you could tell these people never showed up to a prior school board meeting like mm-hmm. and, and I can only imagine you guys on the other side who aren't used to having an auditorium full of people yelling at you usually it's empty low key and all of a sudden because of this thing all of a sudden people are on there they're yelling at you they're screaming they're doing all the things that you're not accustomed to and of course once it dies down like if you look now those same people aren't at the the school board meetings anymore right so i I love the fact that you said just getting community engaged to want to come and recognize how important it is like hey we're making you know decisions are being made here whether yeah. you're here or not. So why not be here to be able to have a voice? And you, you uh, a big theme of yours is just making sure that the right people have a voice because it's it's systemically, and I'll, I can just speak for medicine, systemically, mm-hmm. um, you know, we have done a, a great job at disenfranchising and making sure uh, that communities, especially communities of color um, or even low SES, uh, don't have the same voice as others have. So I, I just love, I love how you're kind of going that like, hey, you know, I'm going to like, even though I'm young, I'm going to go this extra mile because I can see the importance of it. Yeah. And I just want to say like you spoke for medicine, but I, I think it's also important to note that as much as I think public health is phenomenal, we have done our fair share of harm. Um, and so our profession tends to be kind of a savior complex of like we're going to help the poor folks or the the black and brown folks who are just dealing with all these chronic disparities and it's like yes they are but like we also have joy love plenty of attributes that are phenomenal um and so that's been part of engaging with public health is like i I don't have all of the perspectives but i have some and some of them are not typically represented 
Um, and I'm pretty aware of when there aren't perspectives represented. So if I can just sit there and be like, hey, we should probably bring some folks in. That in itself, I think, is really powerful than being entirely unaware of who is missing from the room. So before I let you go, and I, I know you kind of mentioned uh, just one aspect of t- kind of getting the community, because now like I said, I'm going to like I said, I'm, I'm low key just taking down some words. What are uh, what are some tips that you would give me to start like trying to activate like, you know, my local community here in Green Eric's Florida uh, to say, hey, guys, we should we should probably head over to. <laughs> this makes me. What yeah. <laughs> I think number one is that everyone can contribute in different ways. Um, Folks can donate money. Some people can't afford to donate money and that's totally okay. Um, Can you show up to a meeting and can you just document what's happening? Even if you're too nervous to speak, if you are able to speak, can you at least say something in the room that contradicts the racism, the homophobia, the whatever is going on. Um, And if you can't show up or speak or donate, can you be the one who's posting online saying, hey, this thing is happening and there's a live stream over here. And I think it's important to find the ways that you can contribute or you can send an email or you can call someone. Um, there are plenty of ways to do things. You just have to want to do it and find that thing that works for you. I think in terms of engaging community members is really like breaking up the load. We all have lives and they're busy. And can we, some of us do one thing, some of us do the other. Can we get together on a Sunday get some drinks if you drink and like have a conversation about what's happening and like make it more of a social thing. Because really I could not have survived being politically active and dealing with just the heavy topics that public health deals with if I didn't have community members. And so some of it is just like getting to know your neighbors and bringing them along to a meeting or involving them somehow. Um, It's just, there are so many different ways to get involved you just have to pick one. And if it doesn't work for you, you meet other people doing it and you can see what they're doing and kind of try your hand at other things. I just, in a world that really overwhelms you, you have to pick something and just go for it. And if it's not working, that's fine. It doesn't have to be perfect on the first run. I am not going to be the person who cold calls legislators because I do not be on the phone generally, but like I can show up to a meeting I can potentially read a statement that I read previously so I don't forget everything. So it's really just finding what you can do. Oh, that's beautiful. Beautiful. So before I let you go, how can, how can people, you know, follow you obviously not to your house, but like, how can they just kind of, <laughs> kind of just kind of go with your motion and, you know, you know, send, you know, send a, I, cause I don't know how it works when you're, when you already came in. I don't know if you could still fundraise. I don't know how that, again, I'm, I'm a novice gal. I'll just be honest. I, I don't know uh, uh, the rules. Right, but like, how can people follow you? What What are your socials? What are your links? And member lunch learning community, all of the, even if you're driving, listen to this on a podcast. All of these that she says will be in the description of the show notes. But I just want to make sure uh, we give her some time to kind of shot those out for sure. Yeah. So technically, people who are elected could raise money. I I have no need in my local office. I don't. I'm not doing anything wild out here. Um, <laughs> but my email is Leela Public Health at Gmail. And Leela is L-E-E-L-A. Um, and you can feel free to reach out. I especially love to talk to folks who want to get in public health, who are thinking of running for office and they're young and progressive and folks of color potentially. Um, my TikTok is Leela.publichealth. Um, it's gotten a little a little lazy out here as I've gotten busier with other things, but there's, there's some interesting things potentially. 
Um, and I just appreciate the opportunity to chat. It's been really fun. No, thank you. And again, uh, Elita has been uh, uh, such an important force, especially y'all know I'm on TikTok. And I, uh, Lila talks about people run up on their house, but people run up on me a lot uh, on the, the the virtual world, right? Like there's a lot of people who don't really they like- They love you. Yeah. They, <laughs> a lot of people don't really like what I say, but, and, and, and again, I, you know, and I, obviously I'm, I'm promising I'm going to let you go, but like, it, it's just one thing where I have, I have just been generally shocked at the attack on the educators, right? Mm-hmm. Since the pandemic, I, I, it, it's something that like still bothers mm-hmm. me to the point where I get angry for my educators, right? So when I see yep. Lisa, when I see a Dr. Ruby, when I see um, after like, when I see all the people post things about how they have to lay low, have to have to fall back people, like it gets me like irately angry. Um, so I'm very proactive in letting people, especially those who are against just education and against, you know, people actually communicating facts. Um, I'm very, I'm very poignant in letting them know that I don't like, uh, their position. I'll, I'll just say that, uh, for another perspective. So Leela's been definitely one. She always hops on our lives. Uh, we do like, we do Thursday lives. So she always hops out, uh, gives her encouragement, educating, um, uh, hopefully blocking. So, Cause I get some crazy comments too, um, blocking, <laughs> blocking commenters. And I just want, and that's why I wanted her on the show as well too. Cause I say, you know, p- people in her position are just our educators. Those who need to be having the spotlight shown on them usually don't get the time to do it. Right. Cause we're so busy working. So I, anytime I can kind of snatch you. Uh, from the online, so, hey, just, just talk to my community, just so people know how amazing you are. I like to do it, so I definitely appreciate you for taking the time out. I know you're busy. Uh, I don't say I'm not gonna say saving the world, but you're putting the footsteps in to do it, and I just want to appreciate you for joining us. And I just so appreciate your education without platforming disinformation. I think that's been super important, and I appreciate how you do it. All right, let's remember uh, every link email will be in the show notes uh again please uh definitely uh someone to kind of follow and again really just take some of those tidbits that she dropped on us today like i can tell you like i'm writing i write i wrote a few down uh because i'll be honest i'm not as active in my local community as i need to be uh but now i have the energy to do so and i really suggest you do especially uh for people of color who uh again if you don't people who you don't want making the decisions for you will continue making the decisions for you and we can't have that Thank you for getting to the end of the episode. I am yours truly, Dr. Barry Pierre, favorite board certified internist. Like always, remember to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a five-star review, and more importantly, share this to at least two of the five of your friends and family members that you know that could be empowered with the words that you heard today. Again, so appreciative of all you guys' support. See you guys next week.